have anything to thank him for. Why don't you just look around and see if your eyes can see this morning. See if your ears can still hear this morning. And can you lift those hands and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We've got so much to thank him for because our bodies are not ravaged in pain this morning. We say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Because I can think a decent thought. I can say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. And because my heart is so full of love for you, I can say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, 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 yes. Mm. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for your presence. We thank you because your word declares that in all things we are to give thanks. So we say thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for the fullness of who you are. Thank you for every blessing that you prepared for us. Thank you for healing our bodies. Thank you for delivering us from everything that was evil. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for every resource that you provided for my needs. God, we thank you for it. We thank you now, God, for the fellowship that we're experiencing. And we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all those saints around the world who are praising the Lord this morning with us. We say, thank you, Lord for those who are in need of a savior this morning and you are there to bring them into the fold, we say, thank you, Lord. And God, we thank you now for your soon coming return where Jesus will take us home to be with him so that we'll forever say, thank you, Lord. Now we give you praise for these and all things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What a mighty God we serve. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to go with me to the book of Revelations, chapter 2. We started here last week, and I want to go back. Revelations chapter 2. And last week we read uh, several verses. I want to read verses 4 and 5 in your hearing today. This is a letter to the church at Ephesus. And we, as you well know, for the last six, eight weeks, been talking about the, the, uh, the letter that was written to the church at Ephesus. That, that is the book of Ephesians. So we... we Today, I want to talk to you uh, on verse 4 and 5. The Bible says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. Wow. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the, the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And last week, we caught, talked to you on the thought, Love is your first work. 
Amen. And I, this is just part two of love is your first work. If you're not doing the first thing, then you're not doing anything. Amen. If you can't love, you can't live. Now, I know you think you can, but I'm going to show you in the next week or two that you can't. You can be seated. <clears throat> now, we talked to you on several issues dealing with this love uh, because I have come to believe that most people uh, don't know what love is. That's why they never had a first love. Uh, <laughs> some of you all may remember the old foreigner song. I want to know what love is. Oh, you do? <laughs> well, if you know the song, then you know some of the lyrics, right? And it says, I want to know what love is. I want you. I want you to. I want you to. So if we want to know what love is, it's not what you say to me. <laughs> Come on. Because telling me you love me, but not doing the corresponding work does not show me what love is. Now let me go one step further. Doing without feeling is not love. It is duty. It is responsibility. It's not love. When you love out of duty, the Bible calls that cold love. Now, over the next week or so, I'm going to tell you that the remedy for cold love is soul love. Not today. Why does he say that and not tell us? Well, you, you already know the answer to it. If you look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, or you look at Matthew chapter 22, what, verse 37. Uh, in the Old Testament, the question, uh, uh, the New Testament, the question was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he says that you shall what? And he says that you should love the Lord how again? See, it's with everything that you have, it's your soul. If you have your heart and mind, but without the soul, it doesn't work. I can have intellectual love. I can have heart felt love, but unless I'm willing to put my life in it, it's not love. Can I tell you one more thing about love before we get too deep into this? Love is only real when it's directed out. It's only real if it's directed When it's directed in, it's selfish. Y'all still with me? So what John says in this letter 
to the church at Ephesus, he says, I have this one thing against you. He says, you left your first love. Now, his, your first love was the love, he said, that you had when you began to worship me in spirit and in truth, which means you started to do the things that were required in our covenant relationship, not out of responsibility, not out of duty, but out of my love. And this love always is the result of my relationship with Christ. Let, let's make sure we understand that before we go one step further. If you love the Lord, it is only because he first loved you. For God so loved the world. He loved me while I was yet unlovable. He loved me when he, when I didn't know that he had the capacity to love me. But he showed me that he could love me in the condition that I was in. And because he showed me that kind of love, I had the capacity now to return it. Now, let me tell you this. You can't return something that you never received. You try going to the store during this season and return something that you just pulled out the closet. And if you have received love, now you can give it. But if you haven't received the love of God, you can never show anyone else the love of God. That's why we always talk about love, but we, don't, we never have the capacity to make that person feel love. Another part of that foreigner song. I want to feel. You understand what I'm saying? And if you don't come to that part where you feel the love, then you haven't been loved. Uh-oh. Which prompts me to my question that I always ask, why are you angry? You can't, you can't be in love with God and be angry with God's people. It's a physical impossibility. You'll understand that. And I don't know how I got out there. I need to get to the notes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, I need to turn some pages here. Well, it ain't going to get no better. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so what happens here? We left off last week, and I gave myself a note to tell me where to start, by the way. <laughs> but you know, you got to know that once you put the notes out there, then you have more thoughts. And, and I sat down last night and changed everything. So, uh, but nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, <laughs> the Bible says that our proper response to God's presence is the belief that God is love. And it is uh, our concrete, concrete uh, actions of love for one another. In other words, I have to be able to show love in order to say that I know what love is. I know how to love. And we gave you several scriptures uh, in John chapter 1. We went through the series, if you recall, last week. And we ended at verse 18. And John 1 and 18 says this. He says, no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten son, who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him. So the Bible says that Jesus declares who God is or Jesus reveals who God is. And if God is love, 
then what Jesus does is show us who love, what love, or how love is supposed to look. Amen? But the Bible says that there's a thing called forsaken love. Forsaken love refers to an accommodation of pagan idolatry. In other words, when he talks about forsaken love, uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 24 and verse 12, the Bible says that in the last days that things uh, uh, would get so bad that man, after he has been offended, his love would grow cold. After he has been offended, his love will grow cold. And you see what happened to a lot of people, uh, saints and ain'ts both, is that something happened to hurt them and their love became cold. Well, we don't say cold today, we say hard. So I'm going to love you, but it ain't going to be scriptural. Yeah, yeah. So when it gets to be cold love, the Bible says that there is no relationship. There's a duty there because the Bible says it. So when we take the love out of love, then what we have is religion. That's why religious people are so hard. They're hard because they can tell you what love is, but they can't. I think some people in here know what I'm talking about. They can tell you all day long what the Bible says, but I don't want to hear from you about that. I want you to show me. Are y'all with me here? And see, what we do is we do a lot of talking, but very little walking. Hmm? So the Bible goes on to say that this cold love is what gives birth to idols. In other words, if you... you <laughs> I don't know why I have all this music in my head. Uh, I think it was Queen that says, I need somebody to love. Passing over. <laughs> I have a wide repertoire. <laughs> Stop. When people don't know how to love, it causes them to become immature in their love and they create an idol, whether that's a person or a thing. Sometimes you're just in love with an ideal. So what happens is when people don't know how to love, they create this thing. That's why you love your job and you stay there all the time because you love your job. Some people, it's their house. They love their house. So they're always doing something to their house. Some people love their cars. They wash them all the time. Some people love their children. Come on. But they love something that's not capable of returning the same kind of love. And that includes your children. Oh, they love you, but they ain't ever going to love you the way you 
Now they will be capable of loving theirs. <laughs> so no matter how much you pour in, it's never coming back. No, some of it will, but it's never coming back the way you put it in. It's messed some of y'all up right there, boy. Say, really? Yeah, all that stuff y'all been saving for your turn, when you die, they're going to sell it. <laughs> While they're cleaning out the house, they're saying, I wonder why mama kept all this junk. Amen. Amen. So idols then, come on. <laughs> idols then are there to illuminate our self-centeredness. Because if I made you, then you're going to love me the way I want you to. Huh? If, you, if you're in love with your car and it don't act right, you're going to buy another you love in love with your house and it's not exactly what you need. You need another, you're going to build another house. If you're in love with a person and they don't behave, you're going to find another one. Amen. Boy, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought that, you know, when you are in love, you, you, you get married and you live happily. Well, 50% do. Now, <laughs> so, <laughs> so if God is love and we are all good Christians, then there should never be a divorce amongst us, right? Well, we know that ain't right. Now, why is that? Because most people, when they get married, don't have a covenant. Okay, this is rhetorical. Don't move. Just look straight ahead. This is rhetorical. Don't respond in any way. Were you saved when you got married? Leave it right there, okay? which means that after you got saved, now you're trying to form a covenant that you should have had before you got married. So when your partner's not acting right, you're trying to fix them when you should have fixed your choice. At the Well, that's really ugly, right? I did not mean it the way it sounds, but you understand this. So now you, you, you're married, which is a covenant with God, but you weren't saved, so you really didn't have a covenant. And then you got saved, and then you say, I want to be in covenant because I'm married. But only one of you has a covenant with God. So how does that work? No, it works, but listen to how, let me tell you how it works. It means that now, because I'm in covenant with God, I have to work doubly hard to be 
in relationship with God so that my significant other will see what love looks like and they will enter into the covenant with me and God. But if nobody ever sees that, whether it's with the spouse or whether it's with, a, with, with, with God himself, you will never know what love is. Oh, I sure wish I wasn't on this message because I need to move on here. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> well, before you go there, go to 1 John chapter 4. We might as well just make it interesting for just a moment. 1 John chapter 4 verse 20 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Well, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? Now, you may not know this, but I am your brother. Amen. Even when you talk about me. When you're mad about something I said in service and you're sitting around the dinner table. I'm still your brother. Which brings me to a point. No, I don't need to go there, do I? Mm. See, this is. <laughs> you know, you might put it out there, right? This is why it's so hard to have second generation church. Because you didn't show your children what love looks like when it came to your church and your pastor. You didn't teach them. You didn't show them. When you left church, you were talking trash. And little ears were sitting there picking it all up. By next Sunday, you were over it. Your children weren't. I've heard pastors' children talk when they talk openly. They hated church because of the way the people treated their daddies and mamas. How could that be? How could, how could people see pastor and parishioners interacting and take something home that made children think, this is fake, this is phony? How did that happen? Oh, we'll do it the way they do it now. Y'all understand that? So verse 21 says, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Just because you don't happen to agree with me about something, and just because we're not on the same page about something, does not mean that we don't love each other. I may not agree with the way you're living. And I think it's my duty to tell you so. But I don't mean that, that does not mean I don't love you. As a matter of fact, the mere fact that I'm telling you about your lifestyle is proof that I love you. So when you get home, you can't talk about me. Now, what's the biggest problem that folks say 
uh, a have around young people in church and that's why they don't want to do it. It is what's required of you. It's what you, huh? You, it's what, what's required of you. And what is required of you? What does the Lord say is required of you? That you love, that you do good. That's all that's required. But somehow you translated that. Now, this is going to get ugly for just about a minute now. And that's only because I ain't got no notes to cover this. And see, when you leave me out here with no notes, I'm going to just tell you what. I but the biggest problem at home is that it's something that will take from you, not something you give. Church is always taking from you and not giving you anything. They want my time. They want my money. They won't, they won't, they won't. And the truth of the matter is that if you love God, you give. You give your time. You give your money. And when you get home, you say, man, I wish pastor had something for me to do. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't do this, and I know that uh, I'm going to hear about it later, but I'm going to just tell it anyway, because y'all left me out here. The evidence of who we are as a people is shown by what we do for one another. Think about, think about it. Another one of those rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions. Think about the the time that you volunteer helping somebody else in your community. How many of you are part of an organization that helps other people? Are you the people who are handing out or are you in line to receive? So in 1 Corinthians chapter, I'm back. I ain't got much time, but I'm back. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, the Bible says, But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. And we said people who, who create idols, who follow idols, who worship idols, are weak and immature. Okay? So if anyone sees you, uh, sees you who have knowledge eating an idol in an idol's temple, and now, you know, even though he's talking about things that are sacrificed to idols, what is the biggest sacrifice we make to temp the temple of idols? Your money. Y your money. How many, listen now, okay. If I don't stop, I'm... <clears throat> How many of you spend more money on church than you do anything else? No, not a one of you. I can tell you that. I know. <laughs> but what is it you love above all else? The Lord. Yeah. So you want his house. Yeah. But I'll guarantee you not one of you contribute the amount for your mortgage to this house for our mortgage. 
No, because your stuff is more important. Not that there's anything wrong with that, because your stuff should be more important, because that's where you live. Because you can't live here now. But, 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 but just, just, just so you know. But what I'm saying is, if you are willing to spend that kind of money for your own comfort, don't complain about what we ask. That's a sign of cold love. It also means that we will spend more to, to take care of an idol than we will the house of the Lord. What, 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 what? All right. Let's don't even go to the house. What's your car payment versus your tithe? You understand what I'm saying? In the car, you claim it's a necessity. Then how come you ain't driving the same one for the last 20 years? You're still running, take you from point A to point B. Oh no, you got to get there in class. You need a little bit of style. You ain't riding up in no hoopty. Huh? Because I'm blessed like that, right? I'm simply trying to point out <laughs> what the scripture says. If you have knowledge, huh? and you're eating in the idol's temple, it says, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat the things offered of the idol? If weak saints see you spending your money or your time or whatever else doing worldly stuff, they will think that that's the right way. You understand that? Let's go back to what we said about children. If you complain in the house about having to give money to the church, then you think they're going to grow up and give money? Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, I can tell you that we're blessed here because we still have members who grew up and send, and send money back. Praise the Lord. Yes. Not many churches can say that. But apparently we did something right. Or y'all did. Amen. So then verse 11 says, And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. You can send folk right back in the world because they don't really know what's going on in your house, but you give a facade of, you know, this is the way you do it. And you robbing Peter to pay Paul. Huh? Amen. I heard this uh, pastor was doing a, a, a session. He said this. He said, uh, when I met my wife, he said, uh, she saved my life. And uh, he went on to say this. He said, when I met my wife, my credit score was so low they didn't even have a number for it. <laughs> he said, but now it's 790. And he said, that's because I have a strong wife. Look out, brothers. He says, that's because I have a strong wife. She don't take no junk. She wants me to be successful. 
And see, that's what the Bible says, that an Eve is supposed to help Adam to accomplish his purpose in life. And you can't accomplish your, your purpose in life with a 400 credit score. Somebody say, well, what in the world my credit score got to do with it? Your character. That number is your character. I didn't assign it. The world did. They say you don't have no character. If, <laughs> no, if banks were honest and they looked at your credit score, they said, no, you don't have no character. I can't let you have no money. That's what they would say. They shut the crowd up. <laughs> okay, let me move on from that because I see right now that's not where you want to be. I'm okay with that. Okay, I know that. But here's a, just remember this. If you can worship an idol, you will never need God. Hmm? You understand that? All right. So he goes on to say this. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Yeah, I might have to have one more, one more lesson on this. I can see this right now. The last verse in chapter 12 says this in verse 31. It says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. Now, Paul says that this most excellent way is love. All right. Now watch what he says. He says, though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, uh, but have not love, it profits me Nothing. Amen. So he says this. He says that this most excellent way that he talks about in verse 31 is how we measure and express our spirituality. In other words, if I know that if I want to know what I'm like spiritually as a person, if I really love the Lord, he said, this is the test. I have to put it to the love test. He says, just because I have these things. In other words, uh, you can't go through the motions. He says that love is a vital part of what we do. So in these first three verses, Paul looked at five gifts, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, faith, and giving. Amen? And then he followed up by saying, with all of these gifts, they won't work without love. They won't work without love. Let's just think about what he's saying. Because most of these are speaking gifts 
And then there's the giving gift or the service gift. And we can't speak the right stuff or do the right stuff if there is no love. Huh? And then he goes on to say this, that these, this, these gifts are the result of knowing a more excellent way. Amen? So he says that without these gifts, you can't exercise, uh, without love, you can't exercise these gifts. He says that it is love that enriches the gift and gives value. Ministry without love cheapens both the minister and the person and the people he's ministering to. Amen? Love enriches the whole church. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so many of us, so many of us uh, are going through the motions. Hmm. Christians believe that they have a duty, but they think they can perform it without love. In other words, uh, if you say, uh, I'm going to give up the Mercy Clinic, but I ain't going down there and hang around them kind of people. So did you really, did you help anybody? You helped yourself. Here's what, can, this is how we, <laughs> you gave because it made you feel better. But you didn't give to help somebody else to feel Well, I, 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 I'm helping somebody. Who? And we say all the time, you know, uh, I sent them a check. And that's a wonderful thing. Don't get me wrong. I think you should send out some checks. But if you're sending it out because it makes you feel better, but not because it helps somebody and you feel that kinship to help, it ain't love. Do we understand this? And I know this is, this is this, this, trust me, it's hard teaching, but you got to get this. This is foundation. This is foundation. Amen. So the Bible goes on to say this, uh, that Paul says you can have sound without soul. In other words, you can prophesy. You can give a word of knowledge. And when you finish, you usually pat yourself on the back. It's not so much that you love the people, but look at what God's doing with me. Amen. Oh, come on now. Satan is a master of deception. That's why he can put his ministers in places that make them look like they're really doing. Listen, some of the greatest preachers in the world are demon-possessed. If you don't believe me, try talking to them when they get down from the pulpit. See if you can hold a conversation with them. 
Don't care about you. Don't, don't want to care about you. Get away from me. Okay. I'm 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 gonna let that go. Cause I have I. I believe that when God puts his word in people, it is so the people can be blessed. But if I can only get that blessing if I pay you, I have a problem with that. <clears throat> and, and I'm going to leave that right on along. All right. Proverbs chapter. <laughs> I think they must have put that up there so I would move on. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this. It says... Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. If your heart is not full of love, it will be full of junk. You will be doing a lot of lying and... Well, I ain't going to say the other. But anyway, you'll be messing up. Amen. <laughs> So the Bible says then, the devil will then put his spirit in ministers so that they will tell you these lies because they minister to you without love. But the only way that you know for sure that that word is a word from God is that the, 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 the soul of the man is knit to yours. And if it's not, then there's a problem. So the Bible teaches us that even though Satan can mimic gifts, he can't mimic love. And the devil will never encourage you to love. Amen. That's why we feel comfortable dealing with people like this. Don't get too close. Come on, I might feel something. I don't want you too close. Amen. <laughs> wow. Right out of time, man. All right. Let me go through one more little section here. Now I'm, I'm through because I only got four, four minutes. Colossians chapter 3, verse uh, 14. Now I've already covered this, but I'm going to cover it one more time. In Colossians chapter 3. Verse 14, the Bible says, but above all these things, what these things he's talking about. Well, look at verses 12 and 13. It says, therefore, the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, longsuffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Boom. He says, Above all these things, before you get to these things, he says, watch this, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So again, here's what he's saying. He says that with all these graces that God has given us, 
All the ones that Paul talked about in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. He said, with all these things, he said, you, you put them on like a big old overcoat, but then you put that belt of love around and tie it up. Because if you don't hold them together, then they won't work. There is no uh, uh, bond of perfection. In other words, I won't be able to do what God has called me to do the way he called me to do it if I don't have love. Are y'all still seeing this? Amen. So he's saying that love pulls together all the other graces in perfect unified action. He makes them complete. In other words, when he talks about uh, uh, kindness, mercy, humility, meekness, long-suffering. And, and, and this long-suffering is a big thing with Christians. Because our patience is about that long. I'll suffer with you about 10 minutes and then I, can't, I got to go. But you've been saved 20 years and there's still some stuff you haven't gotten over. And God still suffers. So he goes on to say this. He says, uh, love will bind all these other graces together and that he will render the whole system complete. So love then is the one characteristic above all these. He calls it the agape. And see, when we understand agape, agape is God's love toward us that is reflected back to others. Do you understand it? When we talk about agape, we're talking about God's love toward us that is reflected back toward others. If I get it, but I can't, I can't push it out, it does not work. It doesn't benefit you. So, you know, when you're trying to talk to people about lifestyle and you want them to change their lifestyle and you keep telling them you need to change, you need to change. But you are showing you, excuse me, you're telling them what they need to do, but you are not showing them any compassion while you're telling them. I don't want to lecture. I don't. No, I don't want you to tell me what I did wrong. I know what I did wrong. What I want you to tell me is how much you care about me. And you don't want to see me go wrong because you care about me. Y'all understand the difference? Tell me about how you feel about me. Then you can tell me about what I did. But don't start with what I did, because if you start with what I did. Are y'all understanding this? No, because we're good at it. As saints, we, as soon as somebody does something wrong, we want them to know that's wrong. No. I want them to know I care about you. What you're really saying is, I don't want you to continue in this behavior because you're going to hurt yourself. But I need to know, you don't tell your children that way. You tell your children how much you love them. And then you explain to them. Because when your child comes running to you, you don't say, good enough for you. You shouldn't have done that. Come on, baby, let me make it better. And then you tell them, now you can't be running and Everybody knows that, right? Except us. Hmm? It's like the little child that was praying. Thunderstorm and the child was scared. And the parent came in the room and said, baby, it's going to be all right. Jesus will take care of you. 
little child say, yeah, well, I need a Jesus with some skin on him. <laughs> In other words, I'm out of time. Can you believe it? I'm out of time. Oh, Lord. I got to stop here. I'm going to finish this next week, but I declare time went by too fast. Let me tell you, the, the, the thing that we have issues with when it comes to love, being able to show love, is that most of us, and I know this is, I probably need more time to develop it, but most of us just want to be right. I don't really care whether you get right or not. You know, I want you to hear what I'm saying so you can do exactly what I'm telling you to do and then we're going to be all right. Now, if most people could just change and do better, they would all do it. But most people don't have that capacity. It's going to take a little something. And sometimes, listen, if you want me to walk a certain way, walk with me. Hold my hand. We're going to get there. Amen. Amen. Everybody like a little whole hand, hand holding on the, huh? Oh, okay, right. I, I, I looked at the wrong party. <laughs> Hold my hand, Lord. There's got to be more, listen, there's got to be more, listen to this word, compassion. Most of us have passion, we don't have any compassion. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing through me. But you got to stop and think, what is my passion doing to you? And if it's creating a problem for you, then I need more compassion so that I can show this love. Amen? All right, come on, stand up. I'm going to stop here. I got to stop. I got to stop. <laughs> the remedy next week for cold love is soul love. But today, I want to show you what Revelation says, and it says this. Labor is no substitute for love. You can't work your way into love. Neither is purity a substitution for passion. I don't care how much you clean yourself up if you are not willing to stand before a holy God and let him sanctify you. No. It's not working. The church must have both labor because you need to do some stuff, but you also need purity. Do it out of a pure heart. Amen. And then he says this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, when he talks about cold love. It says, when a husband and wife begin to take each other for granted and life becomes routine, the marriage is in danger.
Yeah. So what do we do about it? Here's what Revelation says in verses 5 through 7. First, here's the first thing. First, we must remember what we lost and cultivate a desire to regain it. What did you lose? When you stopped loving God, what did you lose? Well, first thing you, you lost is your desire to be in fellowship. You know, the first sign of cold love is when people don't want to be bothered with folk. Y'all understand that? When you get to the place that you don't want to be bothered with some people, it's a sign that your love has grown cold. Second, the Bible says, we must repent. We must repent. He said, repent and do your first work. Repent. Repent means I need to go back. Go back to where I first met the Lord. In other words, I need to go back to that place where I was excited about being in his presence. When praise and worship gave me, you know, energy. Huh? That when I left church, I had something to chew on. That place, you know. That when I saw people, I said, girl, you don't know what I saw, I heard, or whatever I did in church. I, I'm excited. I tell people about it. See, that's why I remember when this church was full. I remember when they were backed up. That's because people were telling people about their church. But then you all got old. No, you didn't get cold. You got old. It wasn't new to you anymore. No, it wasn't new. See, when you, when you do something and you get, it gets to be a routine, I don't care what it is. It's old and you don't want nothing to do with it. Hmm? And you're not supposed to get old with your love. As a matter of fact, love is supposed to grow deeper. In other words, you explore things that you never knew before because that love is ever growing. And that's where the church missed it. Amen. Number three, number three, you have to repeat your first works. And that's what we're going to go back to next week. You have to repeat your first works. What was it that, that got you excited? What, why, why did you even join this church? What, what happened? What? Go back to that time. Remember when you met the Lord. May not have been in this church. Maybe another. Remember when you first met the Lord. Go back to that. See, I will tell you. I will tell you with no uh, trepidation or fear or anything. I will tell you that if you love Jesus, you will love me. Amen. You will. But if you don't, you're going to have some problems with me. Yeah. Amen. I'm not going to talk right. I'm not going to act right. There's going to be some stuff that gets on your last nerve because you don't love Jesus. Your love didn't grow cold for me. It grew cold. It became academic. It became a duty. It became a responsibility. Amen. See, when love stops sacrificing, it's no longer love. What did you say? When love stops sacrificing, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus died on the cross. He sacrificed his life so that you could learn how to love. When you can no longer love that way, there's no sacrifice. Then love doesn't cost you anything. Then it's trivial. It's unimportant and you can make it as cold as ice. 
Now that's where the church is today. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about church. Church. Church is cold, loveless, because they no longer regard Jesus as the highlight of their ministry. That's why they can hire a gunslinger. I ain't going there, but. But that's pretty much the way we are today. We're going to let somebody else handle it. My job is to show up and look good. So I'm here. I got my little tithe, my offering. I'm here. You know what we say when, when you start to say, well, sis, I ain't seen you in church last Sunday. Well, pastor, I, I'm always there, but, you know, sometimes I get tired. You know, I always give my tithes and offerings. So why, why are you complaining? Because it's about you. It's about soul love, not cold love. Amen. I need to stop, don't I? Let's just pray. Father, I thank you because you love us so much that you were willing to give the very best that you had so that we could give our very best to you. So God, we thank you for choosing us. God, for ordaining and establishing us, making our calling and our assignment sure. God, we thank you for it. We thank you that we are the people of God who are called by your name. So we are your representatives here in the earth realm. Give us a spirit of love. Let the Holy Spirit be the first thing that people see in us. Let our words be seasoned with salt. Let the grace of God be in our every deed. And God, we thank you for it. We thank you, God, for love for one another, love for the Father, and God, most of all, we thank you that we are people who love even the loveless. And God, we ask right now that you would empower us to see the best in everyone that we come in contact with because we see them through the eyes of love. So God, I thank you and I praise you because love has lifted us beyond our status on earth to where we can see from heaven. And God, we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Come on, let's prepare our hearts then to give to the Lord. Not grudgingly <laughs> or by compulsion, but the Lord loves all right. Lord God, I've come into the land which you have given me for an inheritance. I am possessing it and living in it. I've now come with the first fruits of all my increase to place in the basket in this sanctuary where you have placed your name. <laughs> I bought you the first fruits of this land and I set it before you and worship you.
Amen. Did I get it that time? Yes. Okay. <laughs> hey, y'all. <Hey. laughs> Sound right, country? <laughs> I is one of them. Um, I just want to thank y'all for the thing that you're doing for the seniors, you know, those that you are buying gifts for. This is the week we need to bring it in. We'll take them anytime you bring them. But Saturday, what is the fifth? Saturday. It's the deadline, and we want to be in a timely manner so the social workers can deliver in a timely manner to those people. Because sometimes we, we experienced, we did, did the um, Thanksgiving meals this week, and you can telephone them or knock at the door, and, and depending on their physical condition, it may take time to get them to answer up. They maybe not close enough to the phone to pick it up, or they may not be hearing it. So the people who are delivering, I thank you guys too, because y'all put up with a lot last week, but you got them delivered, so I thank you for that. Amen. And they'll have to do that again at Christmas on the 23rd or 24th. Anyway, I'll give them the date. But thank you for bringing the gifts in, and I know you're making somebody's Christmas a lot better. And anytime you do something for somebody else, I mean, you put yourself in a position for God to do something for you. If not you, you got children out there. God will every time show up. I want, one thing my husband said, it kind of pricks my heart that we have to keep being told to love. The one thing that I can tell you, read and study Proverbs, um, the second chapter, starting at um, one to three or fourth verse. And basically what it talks about is knowing God. If you know God, I mean, not just yourself.